wonder if you've ever received some encouraging news or feedback that made you second guess yourself. You know, you're at work and your boss says to you, great job on that project, Chris. And instead of simply taking the compliment and thinking that you have done a great job on the project, you start thinking, he didn't say I did a good job on my last project. Maybe he thought my last project wasn't any good. What if he doesn't like my next job? What if he doesn't say anything good about my next job? Maybe I'm going to get fired soon. All that encouragement from uh, a boss uh, wasted because your brain has gone over, uh, has got started going crazy and is overthinking the compliment. It was just a compliment. You've done a good job, take it. Now, I tell that uh, sort of story because I think that reaction can describe what happens when we read the book of 1 John. You see, 1 John is written, in fact, John tells us uh, in uh, this chapter why he's written it. Have a look at verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. The whole point of this letter is to encourage those of us who believe in Jesus, that we are his, that we have this eternal life, that we're on the right path. And yes, there might be things we need to watch out for, but uh, because of who God is and what God has done, we can have this great assurance. But the funny thing about this letter is, though it's written to assure us for a, for a variety of reasons, tender conscience, uh, distance in time since it was written, uh, we can read parts of this letter along the way and, and start to worry. We start to worry about whether we're really in. Perhaps as you've heard some of the things that we've talked about over the last month, you've, you've had that, that moment where John says, if anyone sins, they're not a Christian, and you think, oh, no. Uh, You've had those moments where you've started to, to wonder if you're really doing a good enough job. But I want to encourage you today that instead of worrying, that as we wrap up this first of three letters, that we finish this letter where John wants us to finish this letter, which is encouraged, encouraged uh, as Christians who are seeking to live out our faith in Christ. And of course, that's where John starts uh, today. He, well, so John starts by uh, encouraging us to know whether or not we're Christians. He, he starts by trying to answer the question, how do I know if I'm a Christian? He's trying to assure us of our faith. Verses 1 and 2 Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father, uh, everyone who, the fa who loves the Father loves his child as well. Let me read that again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. How do we know? How do we know? We believe that Jesus Christ is the Saviour, born of God. Uh, that means we're born of God. And therefore, we love God by loving Jesus and by wanting to love all the other children of God. 
and more than that, we seek to do what God says. The whole letter has reminded us that being a Christian is not about attaining perfection, but rather it's about orientating our lives towards a set of, of beliefs and values. Uh, it's orientating our lives around a love for God, a desire to do what he says, and an attempt and a heart to love our neighbours, particularly our Christian brothers and sisters. And the assurance we're meant to take is not think we're in trouble because there's clearly for all people for all time work to do on those three fronts, but rather uh, we're meant to kind of go, yes, I'm worried about those things because I, want to, I, I love God and, and, and I want these realities to be more real. Often when we're worried about whether we love God enough, whether we've obeyed him enough, whether we've loved our brothers and sisters enough, uh, this is a good sign that we're on the right track rather than a sign that uh, everything is going uh, backwards. The, the difficult thing, I think, about uh, any uh, scripture, but especially this letter is that there's a particular person who should be worried when they read uh, 1 John. There's a particular person who shouldn't have assurance. And that's the person who doesn't care, who just dismisses, yeah, I'm all good, I'm on the right track, no worries, I don't care, or I'm not even, you're not even contemplating, you don't even think, am I acting lovingly enough? The lights are not on. Can you turn them on? It's just, I'm just like, it's really dull in here. Why? I can't see anyone. Um, uh, anyhow, carry on. There we go. Ah, it's like the light of... I think there's some up here that could go on too over there. But anyhow, um, we'll, we'll get to them. So, where am I? In the dark. That's right, I am. Who's meant to be worried about their faith? It's the person who uh, is overly assured, who's self-assured, who thinks they've got nothing to worry about. And so John is encouraging us, if you're on this trajectory, you're, you're, you're doing okay. If this is your heart's desire, even though you might not reach uh, it perfect, perfectly, that's okay. This is a, a sign of the Spirit of God at work in your life, trying to grow in you these good things, these good marks that ought to identify the Christian. John then moves to talk about love. And of course... Being uh, John, he, he, he loves to circle around these ideas and, and we've seen that, that light and, and love are these two big ideas, that truth and love uh, are, are, the, are the big ideas that he keeps circling around and now he goes to this idea of love in action. We often think about love as feelings but of course when we scratch the surface, we know that true love often has very little to do with feelings. Think about uh, life as a parent. And uh, it's because uh, I love my children that I will work hard uh, to help them, that I will uh, uh, seek to 
bring discipline upon them, that I will uh, do things like play the most mind-numbingly boring games because I want engagement with them, that I will overcome feelings of tiredness and grumpiness and selfishness to, to try and do the best I can for these little humans. And so too, when we talk about loving God, we're not primarily talking about how we feel about God, we're talking about how we act towards God. Just as when we talk about God's love for us, John, John never defines God's love for us in terms of, of feelings, it's about the, the action he takes towards us. So, verses 9 and 10, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's back in chapter 4. And so John then says, likewise, our love for him is to be sacrificial and action-based. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. And John says, uh, basically, sacrificial love for God or, or action-based love for God is a good thing to do, and it's an enjoyable thing to do, uh, even though it might sound difficult when we, when we frame it in terms of obedience to commands. He says, it's not burdensome. Why? Verses 4 and 5, because it leads to victory. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We have this uh, desire as Christians to love God as he has loved us by acting in a certain way. And when we do this, when we seek to put God's commands into practice, we find that rather than being burdened by his commands, we have life. Uh, I think the best analogy I could kind of think of was uh, improving your diet. Improving your diet can sometimes feel like a burden. I Trust me. And... Uh, improving your diet, uh, you know, you think, oh, I'm going to miss out on, on the McDonald's and the chips and the Coke and the Pepsi and oh, sadness. But of course, then when you make some changes and you eat some lettuce, <laughs> um, you suddenly start feeling better. You've got more energy, more, more drive. You go to the doctors and they say, you're going to die like probably when you're 80, not when you're 50 anymore. And so it's not easy to say no to the chocolate, but when you do start saying no and you start making better decisions and you start living the way you, you, you were created, you, you reap the benefits. And I think that's kind of how it goes with living out your love for God, that sometimes in that instant, in that moment, sin uh, makes us think that doing something else would be better, a short, quick hit, but actually 
acting out our love for God in doing his commands, uh, though we find when we actually do that, not that difficult. And life-giving. As a Christian, you are born of God, you love God, and so you live out his commands which bring life and lead to victory. John then moves in verses 6 to 12, and if you've got your Bibles there, you can have a look at those verses, uh, to something that reads quite confusingly to us. And what you need to remember as you look at those verses is that uh, part of what John is doing as well is encouraging them to live out their love for God and uh, as expressed in their love for others, is also... Uh, to hold on to the truth of who Jesus is. And we talked a lot about that last week, to avoid false teaching. And what John is doing in these verses, I think, is addressing a particular false teaching that was prevalent at the time. Scholars have identified a particular bloke called Serinthus, C-E-R-I-N-T-H-U-S, uh, and he, like many others, believed that Jesus was just a regular guy who became divine at his baptism and whose spark of divinity left him at his death and therefore uh, he is simply a great example for us of what it means to live life connected to the divine. Uh, and what John's trying to do in these verses, which read really kind of confusingly to us about water and the spirit and the and, the, and, the, and all that kind of stuff, and you kind of go, what are you saying, John? What he's trying to do, I think, is say, no, no, you've got to get Jesus right. Jesus was the Son of God, the Word made flesh, and when he was baptised by water, uh, that was just an indication to us of what we already knew was true by his blood, that he was the Son of God, the Word made flesh, and God's Spirit continues to point us to this truth. Rather than some sort of example to follow, God has shown us that Jesus is his one and only son who brings eternal life to us as a gift and who demonstrates us for us love in action. And so John uh, has told us now, we know we're Christians if we love God, if we love others and if we're seeking to obey God. Not perfectly, but that's the kind of path we're on. We know that love is not about how we feel, but about our actions. And we know that love is not enough on, uh, enough on its own, but the truth about who Jesus is matters. This is the basis upon which we need to build lives of love. And really, they are the themes that John has circled around many times throughout this letter. John now moves to conclude the letter from verse 13 through the end. And I think we see here uh, three things, basically. First, we see an encouragement. Again, remember, this is a letter written to affirm us. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that uh, that you may know that you have eternal life. Knowing that you have eternal life through faith in God and seeing the evidence, uh, your desire to love, your desire to obey, this is meant to give you confidence. Confidence that God 
is, uh, is working in this world for you. As you seek to work in this world for him and live according to his will. Verse 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked. And if, John, you're doing this to And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have we asked of him. We can be confident that God hears and answers our prayers when we're prayed according to his will as we live as children of God, seeking to love God by putting into practice his commands. And it seems that the primary thing he wants us to pray about is uh, each other, and particularly each other as we fight sin. And uh, it seems like this is really one of the ways that we can live out uh, our, our communal love is by being prayerful one another in our battle against sin. If you see any brother or sister, verse 16, uh, commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. Uh, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. Now, uh, in the midst of a nice encouragement for us to pray for one another as we fight sin, he says something that's very strange. What is it that we shouldn't pray for? That is, uh, should I stand here and, uh, you know, get you to tell me your sins? Uh, and I go, yep, I can pray for that one. Yep, I can pray for that one. I can pray. That's the sin that leads to death. I ain't praying for that sin. Uh, no, 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 no. You're too bad. You're dead. I'm sorry. Nothing I can do. Might as well go and enjoy sin. Do you think that's what John's saying? I don't think that's what John's saying. That, that, that wouldn't make any sense of anything else that John has said, let alone any sense of, of what the Bible has said. So what is John on about? What is this sin that leads to death that I shouldn't pray, pray for others about, but also I should try and avoid so I don't die? Let me read to you from one scholar. A Christian minister may rightly try to counsel a distressed Christian by pointing out that any real dread is a sure indication that he is not guilty of this sin. Okay, that's good news. One certainly... One certainty must be that those who are most guilty are least concerned about their state, as we sort of talked about at the beginning. For it is not the magnitude of the sin that prevents its pardon, as though there existed this one sin for which Christ's sacrifice was insufficient. Rather, it is the attitude and disposition of the sinner that excludes the possibility of forgiveness. I think that what is going on here for John and you'll remember, he's concerned with truth. And throughout the letter, he's told the, the disciples, the people he's writing to, to stand firm for the truth and to not let these antichrists lead them astray. I, I think what he's saying is, uh, 
don't concern yourselves with worrying about that person you know who's gone out from the church, who's now carrying on with uh, nonsense, false teaching, who's denying who Jesus really is. He's saying, I'm not saying you need to spend lots of time praying about these people. Rather, focus your attention on supporting one another, supporting those who hold true. That, that's my best attempt at, at, at making sense of what John is saying here. The sin that leads to death is denying who Christ is. So if you don't get Jesus right, if you don't put your faith and trust in him, then you, you're not saved. And you'll reap the consequences of sin, which, as Paul tells us is in Romans, is death. And John, I think, is saying, given your circumstances, church, uh, persecuted, finding life difficult, don't concern yourself with that. Concern yourself with praying for one another as you fight sin and seek to love one another in the here and now. Let's just say that there are many, many scholars who've written many, many things about those three verses. So there's much more that you could be said and feel free to do a deep dive into what you think uh, you might uh, understand John to be saying there. But finally, uh, and this is connected to what I've just said, uh, John's encouragement for us is to remember that we, as we live out our love for God, we do so in a hostile world. We know, verse 19, that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. The world is a dark place. John has told us that. It is under the control of the evil one, verse 19. It is opposed to Christ, the one who brings light and life. And living for the light and life of Christ in a world controlled by the evil one that is dark is not going to be simple. But God has broken into this dark world in the person of Christ and in the power of the Spirit has given us an understanding of just who God is, just what Jesus has done for us. And yet it's still going to be difficult to live out our lives according to that truth. As we seek to love God, to do what he says, to to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, to remind ourselves of God's love for us all the time. The world will be pulling us away, will be offering us little attractive uh, options that are not Christ. And so John's final word, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Instead of chasing after the world, instead of chasing after things that are longing for your heart, stick with Jesus. 
and be encouraged that your desire to stick with him in the midst of a dark world constantly pulling you away shows that you're seeking to live out your love for Christ in an imperfect world awaiting for the return of Christ. Be encouraged that your desire to stick with him your desire to do what he says, your desire to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, this is evidence of God's spirit at work in you. And remember that your privileged position as a child of God is not something you have earned, but always has been and always will be a gift of God who loves you and who sent his son into the world to demonstrate that to be true. You are a child of God because God sent his son to die for you. So stick with him, even when life is tough. Amen.